This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 29, Confession and Communion. In the 20th century, church councils have been held to promote ecumenicity and have looked forward to church union, whereas in the past, councils have been called to deal with problems and to define the truth in a specific area. The concern has been unity in the faith, not institutional unity. Medieval councils, called by various popes, attempted to deal with very real problems. Thus, the Lateran Council of 1215, called by Pope Innocent III, November 11th to 30th, 1215, was convened to address a very grave evils in the Church. These included immorality, a term which covered clerical marriages as well as general adultery and fornication. It ordered Saracens and Jews to wear identifying clothing to distinguish them from Christians and prevent blasphemies. It forbade the ordination of illiterate persons and so on. The council was attended by 412 bishops, 800 abbots and priors, and many ambassadors of Catholic rulers. The first chapter of this council's decrees set forth the Catholic faith. It affirmed the Old Testament as against the Albigensians, it affirmed the validity of the Mass and of transubstantiation, and it required that the faithful partake of communion. Chapter 21 required confession of all the faithful of both sexes after arriving at years of discretion at least once a year to their priest. To communicate at Easter also required confession. Between these two facts there is a necessary connection. Innocent III spoke at length of the moral evils in the church. The latter in council both exalted the Lord's table, Protestants would say in a wrong way, and it sought to protect it from profanation. By requiring special clothing of non-believers, the council sought to protect itself and its central right from profanation. By requiring confession as a prelude to communion, it again sought to protect the Lord's table from profanation, this time from nominal Christians. The problem can be made clearer by an illustration from the contemporary evangelical scene. A woman who professes to be a born-again, Bible-believing Christian has repeatedly committed adultery. All the same, she feels free to partake of communion and feels that she is as good a Christian as a lot of the hypocrites in the church. Again, a reformed churchman, an elder, a generous giver, is also regularly guilty of adultery, just as regularly. He serves and partakes of communion. The pastors in both cases are ruled by fear. 
In an Oklahoma case, a woman guilty of adultery, and admittedly so, successfully sued the church. Granted, these pastors are ruled by the fear of man, not the fear of God, but the problem remains. We may not agree with the Lateran Council of 1215, but we must recognise that they confronted a very grave problem. The Lord's Table was being routinely profaned. Bars against profanation were a necessity, and two of these were identifiable clothing and confession. Now, it is easy to see and say that confession is no sure protection. I knew a Catholic girl, much given to both confession and communion, and very much given also to fornication. Her trust in forms was very great. However, although fences can be broken, and commonly are, we still need them and are better off for them. Calvin and Knox both hedged the table by extended words of warning, covering sins committed by both adults and children. Many orders of worship require a general confession prior to communion. All the various methods, Catholic and Protestant, have in common the commendable motive of protecting the Lord's table from blasphemous participation and use. They are necessary, but, in a fallen world, by no means infallible. Thus, we cannot hope to attain a, per a perfect means of fencing the table by one device or another. What we must understand is that the Lateran Council of 1215 was right in connecting confession and communion. What must be done? What was the nature of the problem of moral depravity in the Church in 1215 and again 1991? It was the failure of the ministry of the Word. How can the sacraments have their valid place if the church be ignorant of the word of God? Protestants loved to indict the medieval church for the frequent ignorance of the word, although there were some faithful preachers then and now. I do not speak of great preachers, because great preachers are not necessarily good ones. A pastor's preaching may be correct and still false. A few illustrations will indicate the problem. One reformed pastor is very faithful in proclaiming the five points of Calvinism. All five points are good, but they represent neither the whole of Calvinism nor the whole of Scripture. Too often, supposedly faithful reformed preaching reduces such churches to cults because the scope of the faith is limited and thereby deformed. Another illustration, this time from an evangelical church. The highly successful pastor preaches salvation unrelentingly. His every sermon is an appeal to come forward and to be saved. Although he professes to believe in the Bible from cover to cover, nothing unrelated to John 3.16 is of concern to him. He has harsh words for those who differ. The time is short, the rapture is near, and men must be saved. Again, we have a deformed gospel. Still another instance. In the 1960s, I knew for a time a Catholic priest whose gospel was the Latin Mass and the Council of Trent and its decrees. Anything else was apostasy. With his extremism, he soon lost even those who loved the Latin Mass. One of the finest and kindliest persons, pastors I have ever known, an elderly Princetonian of the old school, had come in time to concentrate his preaching on various texts in the Gospel of John, all ably done with careful exegesis 
but the Bible is bigger than John's Gospel. The faithful and systematic preaching of the whole Word of God from Genesis to Revelation enables the people of God to know God's law and grace, his definition of sin and judgment, his mercy and peace, and much, much more. As we examine the great early church fathers, we find that they went through various books of the Bible systematically. Certainly, Luther and Calvin did so. The result was a confessing church in every sense of the word. Men exposed to the whole word of God confessed both their sins and their faith. The triune God was the governing power in their lives and world. We are today confronted with many false solutions to the same problem faced in 1215 by the Lateran Council. Some Protestant churches have seen as the solution the return to weekly communion. At one time, in terms of the Passover, many churches, especially Reformed, celebrated communion once a year. In Scotland, and then in the United States in its first century, several churches in an area celebrated together annually in Holy Fairs. This solution is a fallacious one. Holy Communion is preceded in some form by a confession of sins and it is celebrated and partaken as a confession of faith. Neither can exist apart from the faithful and systematic preaching of the word. Confession and communion are essentially related to one another. They are together dependent on the faithful preaching of the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the end of chapter 29. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.